Chapter Eight of We of the Never Never by Jeanie, Mrs. Aeneas Gunn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. Considering ourselves homeless, the Maluka decided that we should go bush for a while during Johnny's absence, beginning with a short tour of inspection through some of the southern country of the run, intending, if all were well there, to prepare for a general horse muster along the north of the Roper. Nothing could be done with the cattle until after the wet. Only Dan and the inevitable black boy were to be with us on this preliminary walkabout, but all hands were to turn out for the muster, to the quiet stockman's dismay. Thought they mostly sat about and sewed, he said in the quarters. Little did the sanguine Scot guess what he was doing when he culled needlework from the mob at Pine Creek. The walkabout was looked upon as a reprieve, and when the traveller, expressing sympathy, suggested that it might sicken her a bit of camp life, Jack clung to that hope desperately. Most of the nigger world turned up to see the Mrs. Mount, that still being something worth seeing. Apart from the mystery of the side-saddle, and the joke of seeing her in an enormous mushroom hat, there was the interest of the mounting itself. Jackaroo, having spread a report that the Maluka held out his hands, while the missus ran up them, and sat herself upon the horse's back. "'They reckon you have escaped from a Wild West show,' Dan said, tickled at the look of wonder on some of the faces, as I settled myself in the saddle. We learned later that Jackaroo had tried to run up Jimmy's hands to illustrate the performance in camp, and, failing, had naturally blamed Jimmy, causing report to add that the Maluka was a very Samson in strength. A dress rehearsal for the cattle musters later on, Dan called the walkabout, looking with approval on my cartridge belt and revolver, and after a few small mobs of cattle had been rounded up and looked over, he suggested, rehearsing that part of the performance where the missus gets lost and catches cows and milks em. "'Now's your chance, missus,' he shouted, as a scared, frightened beast broke from the mob in hand and went crashing through the undergrowth. "'There's one all by herself to practice on.' Dan's system of education, being founded on object lessons, was mightily convincing, and for that trip, anyway, he had a very humble pupil to instruct in the ways of telling the signs of water at hand. All day, as we zigzagged through scrub and timber, visiting water-holes and following up cattle-pads, the solitude of the bush seemed only a pleasant seclusion, and the deep forest glades, shady pathways leading to the outside world. But at night, when the camp had been fixed up in the silent depths of a dark Leichhardt pine forest. The seclusion had become an isolation that made itself felt, and the shady pathways, miles of dark treacherous forest between us and our fellow men. There is no isolation so weird in its feeling of cut-offness as that of a night camp in the heart of the bush. The flickering campfires draw all that is human and tangible into its charmed circle, and without all is undefinable darkness and uncertainty. Yet it was, in this night camp, among the dark pines, with even the stars shut out, that we learned that out bush, houselessness, need not mean homelessness, a discovery that destroyed all hope that this would sicken her a bit. As we were only to be out one night, and there was little chance of rain, we had nothing with us but a little tucker, a bluey each, and a couple of mosquito nets. The simplicity of our camp added intensely to the isolation, and as I stood among the dry rustling leaves, looking up at the dark broad-leaved canopy above us, with my swag at my feet, 
the maluka called me a poor homeless little coon a woman with a swag sounds homeless enough to australian ears but dan with his habit of looking deep into the heart of things didn't exactly see where the homelessness came in we had finished supper and the maluka stretching himself luxuriously in the firelight made a nest in the warm leaves for me to settle down in you're right dan he said after a short silence when i come to think of it i don't exactly see myself where the homelessness comes in a bite and a sup and a faithful dog and a guid wife in the glowing hearth and what more is needed to make a home eh tiddlums tiddlums having for some time given the whole of her heart to the maluka nestled closer to him and dan gave an appreciative chuckle and pulled sulem's ears the conversation promised to suit him exactly never got farther than the dog myself he said did i sulem old girl but sulem becoming effusive there was a pause until she could be persuaded that nobody wanted none of her lickin tricks as she subsided dan went on with his thoughts uninterrupted i've seen others at the good wife business though and it didn't seem too bad but i never struck it in a camp before there was mrs bob now you've heard me tell of her i don't know how it was but while she was out at the downs things seemed different she never interfered and we went on just the same but everything seemed different somehow the maluka suggested that perhaps he had got farther than the dog without knowing it and the idea appearing to dan he reckoned it must have been that but his whimsical mood had slipped away as it usually did when his thoughts strayed to mrs bob and he went on earnestly she was the right sort if ever there was one i know em and she was one of em when you were all right you told her yarns and she'd enjoy em more'n you would yourself which is saying something but when you were off the track a bit you told her other things and she'd heave you on again see her with the sick travellers and then he stopped unexpectedly as his voice became thick and husky campfire conversations have a trick of coming to an abrupt end without embarrassing anyone as dan sat looking into the fire with his thoughts far away in the past the maluka began to croon contentedly at home sweet home and curled up in the warm sweet nest of leaves i listened to the crooning and watched the varying expressions of dan's face wondering if mrs bob had any idea of the bright memories she had left behind her in the bush then as the maluka crooned on everything but the crooning became vague and indistinct and beginning also to see into the heart of things i learnt that when a woman finds love and comradeship out bush little else is needed to make even the glowing circle of campfire her home circle without any warning the maluka's mood changed there is nae luck aboot her house there is nae luck at a he shouted lustily and dan waking from his reverie with a start rose to the tempting bait no luck about her house he said it was mrs bob that had no luck she struck a good comfortable well-furnished house first to go off and never got an ounce of educating she was chained to that house as surely as ever a dog was chained to its kennel but it'll never come to that with the missus something's bound to happen to johnny just to keep her from ever having a house poor johnny though he added warming up to the subject it's hard luck for him he's a decent little chap we'll miss him 
and he shook his head sorrowfully, and looked round for applause. The Maluka said it seemed a pity that Johnny would have been allowed to go to his fate, but Dan was in his best form. It wouldn't have made any difference, he said tragically. He'd have got fever if he'd stayed on, or a tree would have fallen on him. He's doomed if the missus keeps him to his contract. Oh, well, he'll die in a good cause, I said cheerfully, and Dan's gravity deserted him. You're the dead finish, he chuckled, and without further ceremony, beyond the taking off his boots, rolled into his mosquito net for the night. We heard nothing further from him until that strange rustling hour of the night, that hour halfway between midnight and dawn, when all nature stirs in its sleep and murmurs drowsily in answer to some mysterious call. Nearly all bushmen who sleep with a warm earth for a bed will tell of this strange wakening moment, of that faint touch of half-consciousness, that whispering stir, strangely enough, only perceptible to the sleeping children of the bush, one of the mysteries of nature that no man can fathom, one of the delicate threads with which the wizard of never-never weaves his spells. Is all well with my children? comes the cry from the watchman of the night, and with a gentle stirring the answer floats back. All is well. Softly the pine forest rustled with the coal and the answer, and as the camp roused to its dim half-consciousness, Dan murmured sleepily, Sulem, old girl. Then, after a vigorous rustling among the leaves, Sulem's tail returning thanks for the attention, everything slipped back into unconsciousness until dawn. As the first grey streak of dawn filtered through the pines, a long, drown-out cry of, Daylight! Dan's camp reveille rolled out of his net, and Dan rolled out after it, with even less ceremony than he had rolled in. On our way back to the homestead, Dan suggesting that the missus might like to have a look at the dining-room, we turned into the towering timber that borders the reach, and for the next two hours rode on through soft, luxurious shade, and all the while the fathomless, spring-fed reach lay sleeping on our left. The reach always slept. For nearly twelve miles it lay, a swaying garland of heliotrope and purple water-lilies, gleaming through a graceful fringe of palms and rushes and scented shrubs, touched here and there with shafts of sunlight, and murmuring and rustling with an attendant host of gorgeous butterflies and flitting birds and insects. Dan looked on the scene with approving eyes. "'Not a bad place to ride through, is it?' he said. But gradually, as we rode on, a vague depression settled down upon us, and when Dan finally decided he could do with a bit more sunshine, we followed him into the blistering noontide glare with almost a sigh of relief. It is always so. These wondrous waterways have little part in that mystical holding power of the Neva-Neva. They're only pleasant places to ride through and leave behind, for their purring, slumbering beauty is vaguely suggestive of the beauty of a sleeping tiger. A sleeping tiger, with deadly fangs and talons, hidden under a wonder of soft allurement. And, when exiles in the town sit and dream, their dreams are all of stretches of scorched grass and quivering sun-flecked shade. In the honest sunlight, Dan's spirits rose, and as I investigated various byways, he asked, where the sense came in tying up a dog that was doing no harm running loose. It weren't as though she'd taken to chivying cattle, he added, as a mob of inquisitive steers trotted after us. I hurried Roper in among the riders, 
and then he wondered how she'll shape at her first muster. The rest of the morning he filled in with tales of cattle musters, tales of stampedes, and of cattle rushing over camps and mincing chaps into sawdust, until I was secretly pleased that the coming muster was for horses. But Jack's reprieve was to last a little longer. When all was ready for the muster, word came in that outside blacks were in all along the river, and the Maluka deciding that the risks were too great for the missus in the long grass country, the plans were altered, and I was left at the homestead in the dandy's care. It's a ill wind that blows nobody any good, the Maluka said, drawing attention to Jack's sudden interest in the proceedings. Apart from sterling worth of character, the dandy was all contrast to the quiet stockman. Quick, alert, and sociable, and brimming over with quiet tact and thoughtfulness, and the Maluka knew I was in good hands. But the dandy had his work to attend to, and after watching till the bush had swallowed up the last of the pack-team, I went to the wood-heap for company and consolation. Had the Darwin ladies seen me then, they would have been justified in saying, I told you so. There was plenty of company at the wood-heap, but the consolation was doubtful in character. Google-Eye and three other old black fellows were gossiping there, and after a peculiar grin of welcome, they expressed great fear lest the homestead should be attacked by outside blacks during the Maluka's absence. Might it, they said, and offered to sleep in the garden near me, as no doubt Mrs. would be frightened fellow to sleep alone. Me big mob frightened fellow long a wild black fellow, Google-Eye said, rather overdoing the part. And the other old rascals giggled nervously, and said, My word! But sly, watchful glances made me sure they were only probing to find if fear had kept the missus at the homestead. Of course, if it had, a little harmless bullying for tobacco could be safely indulged in when the dandy was busy at the yards. Fortunately, Dan's system of education provided for all emergencies, and remembering his counsel to die rather than own to a black fellow that you were frightened of anything, I refused their offer of protection, and declared so emphatically that there was nothing in heaven or earth that I was afraid to tackle single-handed, that I almost believed it myself. There was no doubt they believed it, for they murmured in admiration, My word, Mrs. Big Mob Cheeky Fellow, all right. But in their admiration they forgot that they were supposed to be quaking with fear themselves, and took no precautions against the pretended attack putting themselves away properly, Dandy said when I told him about it. It was a try-on, all right, he added. Evidence was against you, but they struck an unexpected snag. You'll have to keep it up, though. And deciding there was nothing in the yarn, the Dandy slept in the quarters and I in the house, leaving the doors and windows open as usual. When this was reported at dawn by Willie Muck, who had taken no part in the intimidation scheme, a wholesome awe crept into the old men's admiration. For a black fellow is fairly logical in these matters. To him, the man who crouches behind barred doors is a coward, and may be attacked without much risk, while he who relies only on his own strength appears as a Goliath defying the armies of a nation, and is best left alone, lest he develop into a Samson, annihilating Philistines. Fortunately for my reputation, only the dandy knew that we considered open doors easier to get out of than closed ones, and that my revolver was to be fired to call him from the quarters if anything alarming occurred. 
"'You'll have to live up to your reputation now,' the dandy said. And, brave in the knowledge that he was within cooee, I ordered the old men about, most unmercifully, leaving little doubt in their minds that Mrs. was Big Mob Cheeky Fellow. They were most deferential all day, and at sundown I completed my revenge by offering these rulers of a nation the insult of a woman's protection. If you are still afraid of the wild blacks, you may sleep near to me tonight, I said, and apologized for not having made the offer for the night before. You've got em on toast, the dandy chuckled, as the offer was refused, with a certain amount of dignity. The lubras secretly enjoyed the discomfiture of their lords and masters, and, taking me into their confidence, made it very plain that the lubra's life at times is anything but a happy one, particularly if me boy all day crowl. As for the lords and masters themselves, the insult rankled so much that they spent the next few days telling great and valiant tales of marvellous personal daring, hoping to wipe the stain of cowardice from their characters. Fortunately for themselves, Billy Muck and Jimmy had been absent from the wood-heap, and therefore, not having committed themselves on the subject of wild blacks, bragged excessively. Had they been present, knowing the old fellows well, I ventured to think there would have been no intimidation scheme floated. As the dandy put it, altogether the time passed pleasantly, and when the Maluka returned we were all on the best of terms, having reached the phase of friendship when pet names are permissible. The missus had become gadgery to the old men and certain privileged lubras. What it means I do not know, excepting that it seems to imply fellowship. Perhaps it means old pal, or mate, or, judging from the tone of voice that accompanied it, old girl, but more probably, like Maluka, untranslatable. The Maluka was always Maluka to the old men, and to some of us who intimidated them. Dan came in the day after the Maluka, and hearing of our affairs, took all the credit of it himself. "'Just shows what a bit of educating'll do,' he said. "'The dandy would have had a gay old time of it if I hadn't put you up to their capers.' and I had humbly to acknowledge the truth of all he said. "'I don't say you're not promising well,' he added, satisfied with my humility. "'If Johnny'll only stay away long enough, we'll have you educated up to doing without a house.' Within a week, it seemed as though Johnny was aiding in a betting dam in his scheme of education, for he sent in word that his cross-cut saw, or something equally important, had doubled up on him, and he was going back to Catherine, too. See it straight off. End of chapter 8